You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your copy of God's Word, grab that and turn to the book of Psalms. This morning we're going to be in Psalm 33. Psalm 33. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one this morning. On those tables in the back of the room, you'll find some hardback Bibles, you can take one now or on your way out of worship today. That's our gift to you. And uh, today is also a communion Sunday. So if you forgot to pick up your communion elements on your way into worship this morning, you can sneak back there and grab those now if you need them. If you are willing and able, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning. To get us started, I want to read Psalm 33, verses 1 to 9. Psalm 33, verses 1 to 9. Listen carefully to God's Word. The psalmist says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. After today, for the uh, rest of the month of July and into early August, I will be going away on study leave. This is an annual rhythm, and so we'll have a variety of other people continuing in this study of of the book of Psalms that we've been in. This annual rhythm of study leave is good for my soul, and it's good for yours. It's good for you because it's a reminder that God works in a variety of ways, through a wide variety of people. God's plan is much bigger, much greater than Dylan Thornton. One day, I will be gone. The Lord will call me elsewhere. We have no indication of that in this moment. You're stuck with me for now. But one day, he might call me elsewhere, or I'll be dead. Memento mori. And the work of the ministry will continue, because it's not about me. You seeing someone other than me up here helps you remember that. God's plan is much bigger, much greater. So it's good for your soul to see other men of God up here sharing the word with you. It's also good for my own soul because despite what some people think, I'm not a robot. (laughs) I'm not a robot. I need rest for my body and my mind just like you. So it's good for me to take a break from weekly preaching and work on some other things and rest. Now, I'll be around. Even though I'm not preaching, I plan to worship here at Faith Church on the weeks that I'm in town. I expect you to do the same. We'll need all of our gospel partners to continue gathering for worship, serving, giving throughout the summer months. We're in that summer lull right now where we don't have our usual revenue from the preschool. So we need all of our gospel partners to continue serving, giving throughout the summer. Now, enough with the preliminaries. Let's get into our text for the day. We're in this series called Summer in the Psalms. Last week, we looked at Psalm 1, which is a wisdom psalm focusing on the Word of God. Today we're in Psalm 33, a praise psalm 
focusing on the worship of God. Psalm 33 will get us thinking about what the children and leaders were thinking about all this past week at Arts Camp. Creativity. Creativity. And in particular, I want us to think about human creativity, God's creativity, and finally, creativity, identity, and eternity. We need to understand how those three relate to each other. You see, if you want your creative capacities, whatever they are, if you want your creative capacities to be a joy and not a frustration, then you must, you absolutely must understand how your creativity relates to your identity and to eternity. So that final point will be very, very important. But first, let's think about human creativity more generally. Psalm 33, verse 1. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. This is a psalm of praise, so it begins naturally with a call to praise. And here again we find this word righteous that we saw last week in Psalm 1. It has to do with living according to God's standard. But if you were here last week, you'll know we learned none of us are righteous. Not one of us lives according to God's standard. In our natural sinful state, we are not righteous, but we become righteous when we are united with Jesus Christ by our faith in Him. Martin Luther and many since him have referred to this as the great exchange. The children just sang about it in the story of the cross. Our record of unrighteousness goes to Jesus, and Jesus' record of righteousness, His perfect obedience, that record comes to us. It is true that Jesus died for our sins, but it's also true that Jesus' record of righteousness is transferred to us as we are united to Him, as we place our faith in Him. So that means that when God the Father looks to you, believer, He sees you as righteous. He looks to you and He sees someone who He treats as if you've never sinned. And not only that, He treats you as if you've always obeyed. He sees you as righteous because of Jesus. And there's only one fitting response for the righteous, which we see here in Psalm 33. Praise. Praise. See, another way to understand this word righteous or righteousness is to think of it as right-relatedness. Right-relatedness. Now, because of what Jesus has done, we are rightly related to God. That relationship has been restored. And in response to that, we praise Him. We praise Him. Praise befits the upright. A believer who doesn't sing out, a believer who doesn't praise, is like someone who goes to a special occasion underdressed. You're not dressed properly. It's not fitting. Praise befits the upright, the righteous. Now the psalmist goes on. Verses 2 and 3. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. The psalmist uses many terms here to help us understand what worship is, what praise is, but I want to focus this morning on verse 3. Notice he says, sing to God a new song. Now, why does he give this command? A new song? Why is that necessary? Because God is at work in the present. Not only in the past. God is at work in the present. And so the church always has a need for new songs. The freshness of our music should match the freshness of God's mercy. God is always at work, and so we need new songs to testify to the wonderful actions of God in the present day. 
Now, this doesn't mean we abandon the old songs by no means. It's a both and, not an either or. But here the emphasis is on freshness, creativity. Sing to him a new song. A new song. Now, though in context this is referring specifically to musical arts, I think it's right for us to think more broadly about creativity in general here. Human creativity, the foundation for human creativity, is God's creativity. Maybe you're here this morning, you're visiting with us, and you wouldn't really identify yourself as a believer. You're more skeptical, agnostic, something like that. But you're creative. Have you ever wondered why? Have you ever wondered why you have those creative capacities? Christianity's answer is because you are a creation. We write because we are written. We paint because we have been painted. We build because we have been built. We create because we have been created. The book of Genesis teaches us that God created all things. We'll see that in Psalm 33 in just a moment. And God created us in His image, which means many things, one of which is that He has given us the ability to create as well. We have creative capacities because of our Creator. Now, we will have greater and lesser degrees of creativity, and we'll want to express our creativity in different ways. We'll have different gifts. In my family, Jamie is the visual person, and I'm the verbal person. She paints, I write. Jamie picks paint colors based on how they'll look on the walls of our house. I pick paint colors largely based on the name of the color. I don't care how it's going to look on the wall, we are not having any paint called Snuggle Anything on, in our house. No, it's got to have a good name. It's got to have a good name because I'm the words guy. You will have your own gifts. Maybe you're more like my wife. You can draw. You can paint. Maybe you're more like me. You enjoy words. Maybe you're something else. Maybe you like to build. I know some of you that can build anything. You give you a pile of wood, it's miraculous what you can do. Some of you have wonderful gifts when it comes to illustrations, not me. I can't draw anything. Well, I'll take that back. I can draw one thing. I can draw a wonderful rat. Now, this is a great, I'm not kidding, this is a great mystery in our family. Nobody knows why I can draw a rat. I don't know why I can draw a rat, but I can draw a great rat. In fact, it's so good that if I drew it for you right now, you would want my autograph after the service this morning. It's that good. But if I draw anything else, it's rubbish. It's a mystery. Who knows why? I must have gone to an arts camp as a child where all they taught was how to draw rats all week long. What a strange camp it must have been. You will have your own gifts. But this psalm is calling you to discover them and use them for God's glory. Sing to the Lord a new song, creativity, freshness. But notice also the psalm calls for excellence, creative excellence. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings. There is a call in Psalm 33 not only to discover our gifts, but to develop them. It's significant that the psalmist doesn't say play on the strings. He says play skillfully on the strings. It's not just that the strings are played, it's how they're played that matters. Discover and develop your creative capacities. Some of you have creative capacities that you express simply in the form of a hobby, 
Others of you are using them in a vocational sense as part of your job. If you're a professional musician, what does it mean for you to glorify God in that vocation? Does it mean that you must sing and play only Christian music? No. No. Play skillfully. Play skillfully and you will glorify your creator. What about if you're a civil engineer and your job, your vocation is to design bridges? What does it mean to glorify God in that vocation? Does it mean you must give a tract to everyone who crosses over your bridge? No. Design skillfully. Design safe bridges. That will bring glory to your creator. There's a call for excellence here. There are two biblical scholars named Douglas and Jonathan Moo. They've written a book called Creation Care. In that book, they say this. I want you to listen to this. It will help you see your calling, your vocation, perhaps in a new light. Here's what they say. The command given to human beings to rule over other creatures, the charge to work and take care of the garden, and Adam's naming of the animals, all these things we see in the early chapters of Genesis, all of this serves to challenge us to undertake the study of the world and to come to know it as well as we can so that we might appropriately rule in it and serve our Creator well. In light of this, science, art, and many forms of work we sometimes label secular ought instead to be recognized as high and holy callings. If we are to care well for the earth, we need scientists to help us understand the thing for which we're called to care. And we need artists to help us see the world anew. You have a high and holy calling. You have creative capacities. Use them to the glory of your creator. That's human creativity. Now, secondly, let's think about God's creativity. The foundation for our own creativity. Here in the middle of the psalm, beginning in verse 6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. God's creativity is the foundation for ours. One other way to say that, our creativity stems from his creativity but God creates in a way that you and I can't. God creates by speaking. And he creates from nothing. We create from something. We need materials, paper, paint, stones, wood. We need tools, instruments, an axe, a hammer, a paintbrush. We can't create from Nothing, only God can do that. Every great masterpiece of history, every great masterpiece required materials, tools, instruments of some sort, the Mona Lisa. Box compositions, Tolstoy's short stories, Westminster Abbey, the Eiffel Tower. The creators behind all of that, in a technical sense, they're not really creators. To use one of Tolkien's terms, they're sub-creators. Sub-creators. They're creating out of what God has already created. Only God can create from nothing. See, at the beginning of the Bible, at the beginning of the biblical story, 
Creation is pictured as a language that only God can speak. In the beginning, there was nothing. It's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? There was nothing. No oceans. No thunderstorms. No barking dogs. No honking horns. There was just silence. And God spoke. And the universe was. That's his power. Only God has this creative power to speak. And from the nothing, there's something. Now because of that, because God can create that way, because he can create from nothing, it means he has power over all things. He has created all things, and that makes him the sovereign God over all things, which is where the psalmist goes next. We should praise God because he spoke and everything came into be, and we should praise God because he's sovereign over everything that is. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Look at the similar language that's used here. Backing it up a bit. He spoke and it came to be. He commanded and all of creation, what? Stood firm. And now he goes on to say the counsel of the Lord stands firm. God's plan for his world is firm. It cannot be shaken. He created all things. That means there is no maverick molecule. There is no person that exists beyond his dominion. There is no nation that is outside his jurisdiction. His plan cannot be stopped. It cannot be interrupted. Not by some other nation of the world. Not by our own. He's the sovereign God of all. He has a plan for his world. And that means, believer, he has a plan for you. If God is in control of all things, then he's in control of whatever it is that you're facing in your life at this very moment. See, the beautiful thing about the Bible is that God is not just the sovereign God from afar. He's sovereign and he's the personal God. He's with you. He loves you. He cares for you deeply. Whatever you're facing, you're not alone. God is working for your good and for his glory now and always. That's God's creative power. Now, here at the end, I told you this final part would be the most important. I'm going to help us try to bring all of this together now. We need to think about these three terms, creativity, identity, and eternity. Remember I said at the outset, if you want your creative capacities, whatever they are, if you want them to be a source of joy and not frustration in your life, then you must, you absolutely must understand how your creativity relates to your identity and to eternity. Both are important. Twice toward the end of the psalm, the psalmist uses this phrase, steadfast love, the loyal love of God. Verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. And then again in verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Believer, you are loved by God. The steadfast love of God, the loyal love of God is upon you. It always will be. There's nothing you can do to change that. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a believer, you are a chosen and cherished child of God. That's your identity. 
Now, if you understand that your creativity flows out of that identity, then it will be a source of joy for you. But if you fail to understand that, your creativity will always be a source of frustration. What do I mean? I'll show you how it works. It's very easy for the quality of our work to become the measure of our worth. I'm going to say that again so that it sticks. It's very easy for the quality of our work to become the measure of our worth. In other words, our identity is tied to our performance. Your creative capacities, your vocation, your job performance, all included there. Our identity is tied to that. And if that has happened in your life, inevitably it will lead you to one of two places. Either you will become prideful or you will become fearful. There is no other alternative. If you're a musician, and you're a very, very good musician, you're in high demand, you will become prideful. Not because of your creative excellence itself, but because you've made that your identity. You have begun to think to yourself, I'm a somebody because of this gift. I'm a somebody because of these creative capacities. It will lead you to a place of pride and that will frustrate you or frustrate others in your life. Now on the other end of the spectrum, if you're a musician and you're not quite as good, you're not in high demand the way you'd like to be, you'll be fearful. You'll always be afraid that you're not a somebody, that you're not as important, that you're not as good. You'll live in this place of fear. You'll be paralyzed by it. But you see, if your creativity flows out of your identity in Christ, out of your identity as a chosen and cherished child of God, then you're freed. You're freed from both pride and fear because the gospel gives you a received identity, not an achieved one. And that means that whatever your creative capacities are, you are already in a place of acceptance. Acceptance at the, at the feet of the God of the universe, the creator of all things. And so that means that on your best day and on your worst day in the studio, on your best day and on your worst day at work, you are already accepted. You're accepted by God. You have an identity. He's given you these gifts to use for his glory. So sure, you should strive for excellence. But when you are excellent, you're not prideful because you realize you're just a sub-creator. These are gifts given to you by the creator of all things. And if you're not excellent, you're not crushed. You're not crushed because you know you're loved. The God of the universe loves you. And nothing will ever change that. So you see, your creativity, your creative capacities, they must, they must flow out of this secure identity in Christ. Only then can your creativity be a source of joy. Now, what about eternity? That's the final term here. Creativity, identity, and eternity. How does our creativity, our creative gifts, how do they relate to eternity? Maybe you've never thought about this one. In closing, I want to give you a short story that I hope will inspire you in your creative callings, in your vocations, whatever that might mean for you. This is a lesser-known story from one of my favorite artists, J.R.R. Tolkien. In the summer of 1943, Tolkien was dead stuck. Dead stuck, that's his phrase, in his writing of Lord of the Rings. It had taken him nearly six years to bring the story this far. In the words of his biographer, Humphrey Carpenter, he was 51, he was tired and he was fearful that in the end he would achieve nothing. 
One morning, Tolkien woke up with a short story in his head. He scribbled it down at once and later titled it Leaf by Niggle. The word niggle, N-I-G-G-L-E, is a verb. It means to work ineffectively or to spend too much time on the details. But in Tolkien's story, niggle is a noun. The main character, a painter. The story goes like this. There once was a little man named Niggle who was a painter. Not a very successful painter, partly because he had many other things to do. He was a kind-hearted man, often sidetracked by many odd jobs for his neighbor, Mr. Parrish, a man with a lame leg. Niggle was the sort of painter who can paint leaves better than trees. He used to spend a long time on a single leaf, trying to catch its shape and its sheen and the glistening dewdrops on its edges. Yet he wanted so badly to paint a whole tree. There was one tree in particular that consumed his imagination, a tree so large and surrounded by such a beautiful country that it would require an enormous canvas, a canvas so large that Niggle would need a ladder to reach the top of it. So he rolled up his sleeves and he began to concentrate. But there came a tremendous crop of interruptions. Things broke in his house. He had to go serve on a jury in town. And then there was his neighbor, Mr. Parrish, who was always in need of something. And usually it was something silly. Parrish would interrupt Niggle's painting to tell him he needed to tend to the weeds in his garden. Mr. Parrish was the sort of man who could see only the weeds in life. Well, one day, Mr. Parrish's wife became ill. Having a lame leg, Parrish couldn't travel all the way to town to fetch the doctor. So Niggle put down his paintbrush, and he got out his bicycle to ride to town. But it was a wet and windy, windy day. Niggle was soaked to the bone and caught a chill himself. By the time he arrived back home, he had a high fever, and he had to go straight to bed. Niggle could think of only one thing, his painting. It consumed his imagination. But he couldn't kick the fever. And the interruptions continued. A house inspector, and then one day a mysterious figure. Dressed all in black. Come along, he said to Niggle. I am the driver. Driver of what? Niggle asked. You and your carriage. The carriage was ordered long ago. It has come at last, the man said. It's waiting. Ah, Niggle knew what this meant. The day of his long journey had come. The journey all men must take. Oh dear, said poor Niggle, beginning to weep. My painting, my painting, it's not yet finished. Nonetheless, he went with the driver, eventually finding himself at a railway station where he boarded a train. After a very short ride, the engine gave a whistle and the train stopped. He stepped off, and the first thing Niggle noticed was his bicycle. So strange. The same one he had ridden to town to fetch the doctor for Mr. Parrish. Seeing it brought a feeling of familiarity, a strange feeling to experience in a place never before visited. He jumped on his bicycle and off he went, exploring this beautiful new country. It was new, and yet somehow it wasn't. He recognized it, the shape of the ground, the shade of green. He knew them. Yes, he was sure of it. Then Niggle looked up, and in the distance, 
he saw something. He fell off his bicycle. He couldn't believe his eyes. Before him stood the tree. His tree finished. He gazed at the tree and slowly he lifted his arms. He opened them wide and he said, It's a gift. It's a gift. Believers, you must understand that the hope God's word holds out for us is that one day there will be a new country, a new creation when Jesus returns. And your creative capacities, your calling, your vocation, it will find its ultimate fulfillment, its completion there in that new country. You see, the vision that God has given you, if you're a doctor, a nurse, the vision for healing, the vision for health, the vision God has given you for beauty and peace and justice, you're working toward the fulfillment of that vision here and now. Every day you go to work, that's what you're doing. One day in the new country, God will give us the ultimate fulfillment of all of that. It will be a gift. It will be a gift. Now that means that the work you're doing here and now is not in vain. It's not in vain. You may devote your entire life's work to one leaf. But know this. There is a tree. There is a tree. And one day, you will see it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope of the gospel that you will make all things new. That one day at the return of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, there will be a new creation, a place of beauty, of peace, of prosperity. The vision you have given us now, God, the things we strive for with excellence in our daily tasks as doctors and attorneys and teachers and artists and all of that one day one day you will give the gift of ultimate fulfillment of completion there will be a tree we long for that day in the meantime help us God to discover our creative callings and capacities to develop them so that we can use them for your glory and help us to live faithfully in all that we do with each day that you give us. In Jesus' name, amen.